Whether it's David over Goliath, the Trojan horse taking Troy by surprise, or any other underdog story, brains almost always beats brawn. As the saying goes, knowledge is power. But while knowledge might be power, can you know too much? And what happened when your knowledge turned into something much darker? After all, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Your knowledge versus your ego. This should be a fun argument, Tom. It should be, as long as your ego doesn't get in the way. Well, it takes one to know one. Welcome, listeners, to Subject Matter. Hello and welcome to another episode of Subject Matter. This is episode eight. Tom, we are halfway through the season. Can you believe it? Eight episodes in, seven more to go. I'm just ready for the finale party. I know you're bringing the pizza. Well, the big question is, what are we going to be doing to celebrate? But what I want right now, Tom, from you is some food for thought. Give me something that is going to inspire our audience. Give them a new idea. Huh. Interesting question, Ben. The difference between good products and great products is the difference between the little details and the big ones. The iPhone became massive because of its haptic feedback and the way that it reacts to each little way that you interact with it. So the great products are the ones that have the most detail baked in because they've been so carefully thought out that each little half a percent thought matters. I like that. In much the same way, here's my food for thought for you. The difference between good performance and great performance is exponential. Good results can be done in 10 minutes, sending a very quick proposal, for example. But a great result could take 10 hours because that small difference is absolutely massive when it's scaled. True knowledge then, Ben, would be knowing the difference. Well, Tom, when it comes to having knowledge, let's start with the clearest example of knowledge in its purest form, and that is its applicability in the military. When it comes to wars and battles, lucky victories simply do not exist. And the best military generals often rely on more than their army's sheer strength. They conquer their opponents using their wit and their cunning. And one of the greatest military commanders of all time shows us how powerful knowledge truly is. And that is Alexander the Great, King of Macedonia. Alex went on a five-year conquering streak that is truly incomprehensible. He had superior military knowledge as he utilized the Macedonian phalanx formation. And if you don't know what a phalanx is, I'd recommend looking it up. Imagine a row of spears about 12 feet long with another line of spears behind them, repeated until you're eventually running into a very spiky barbecue. And this formation would take his army from Greece, tearing his way all through the Persian Empire and eventually reaching the borders of India thousands of miles away. Now, Alexander didn't just rely on his military knowledge to win. He knew that intelligence itself was a powerful asset. Alexander created networks that were extremely effective at relaying messages across his vast empire. He used a combination of horses, carrier pigeons, and fire beacons that allowed him to anticipate when rebellions were happening and let him spy on his enemies to learn about their movements or weaknesses far faster than any of his opponents could spy on him. 
And when Alexander finally triumphed over King Darius, he knew his claim to be the king of Persia was shaky. And so he didn't rely on military power to subordinate the Persians. He used intelligence. He used knowledge. He cemented his claim by marrying men from the Macedonian upper class to Persian wives. Alexander knew that a good ruler was knowledgeable on the battlefield, but a great one knew about all aspects of ruling and used that knowledge exactly as he did. For Alexander, knowledge was power. But this trend didn't stop there by any means. All through the 20th century and beyond, national intelligence services gather knowledge in their opposing countries to stay one step ahead. Just look at the KGB in Russia, for example. Their spies would take on intricately plotted false identities or legends, often taking details from the lives of dead people. The KGB would also place their agents in Soviet embassies, granting them diplomatic immunity while they could gather knowledge on their chosen country, as well as planting disinformation. KGB agents also disguised themselves as friends of the cause, infiltrating target groups to sow dissension, disinformation, and affect their politics. The KGB knew that wars didn't have to be won with brute force, much like David triumphing over Goliath. With the right amount of toxic knowledge, they knew that they knew what the best next move would be. And it's the exact same thing for Alexander, right, Tom? By relentlessly collecting knowledge, Alexander ended up having the most context for smart decision-making. Even though he suffered his first serious defeat after being ambushed by Persians in a mountain pass at the Battle of the Persian Gate, Alexander used a local guide's knowledge to lead part of his army around a secret pass that allowed him to flank the Persians and take them by surprise during their follow-up attack. Knowledge wasn't just power for Alexander, it was the fuel which empowered his decisions. It does feel like we've been agreeing for a little too long this episode, Ben, because there is one pretty big catch. Knowledge may be power, but what if ignorance is false power? So let's dig into that for a second. When you're starting out in a business, in an industry, or even a new environment, you think that you know lots. If you were in a live in Alexander's times, your tiny village would be your world. And so based on your knowing your village, you think that you knew everything there is to know about the world. Now, if the world was the size of a tiny village, you'd be right. You would know everything. Your perceived power would be very high. But unfortunately, the world has pretty limitless gates. If we put that same person in today's world, they'd probably quite literally be mind blown. That person has just realized how much there is to life. And it's the same with knowledge, because true knowledge is realizing how little you know. Shout out Epictetus. When the small pond you think you're swimming in turns into expansive ocean, it can be terrifying. And that's why if you don't have enough knowledge to fully understand the ocean we're in, it can be dangerous to perceive your power to be higher than it is. And that's the dilemma faced by young entrepreneurs. A study by MIT found that the average age of startup founders is around 42, and the average age of entrepreneurs who founded high-growth companies is 45. In fact, the sexualized 20-something fast-flying founder had the lowest likelihood of starting a company with a successful exit. I'm still going to try, though. But 
this makes total sense. Older founders have built enough context to understand this situation. That's why they succeed. They can make less mistakes in their current business because they've already made those mistakes before, whether it's staffing, hiring, running business partners, giving away equity. The mistakes that they've made add into an aggregate pool of knowledge that they can pull from in their next venture. But for the young, ignorant founder who fails, their perceived power was high, but their actual knowledge was likely very low. Little did they know, the pond was an ocean the whole time. So yes, be knowledgeable, but make sure to stay humble to know what you don't know and know the difference between perceived power and what you are actually capable of. Perceived power is one thing, Tom, and that's dangerous. But I think you're missing a big part of it. See, there's a level below perceived power lurking just below our consciousness that can be downright destructive. And that is our ego. Now, ego is defined as a person's self-esteem or self-importance and their sense of it. And if you start knowing more, then naturally that builds your self-esteem as you have more confidence to make the right decisions, just like Alexander did with his fire beacons, carrier pigeons, and horses collecting information on his enemies. But sadly, this can get ugly very quickly. And let's see now with Alexander how excessive knowledge can be the undoing of even mighty people. Because on his way back from India, at the end of his grueling five-year campaign, going through present-day Pakistan and Afghanistan, Alexander was taking his troops home and was faced with the decision to go through the formidable Gedrosian Desert. Now, Alexander could have avoided this treacherous route and simply marched around it. But this time, his ego would win out over his knowledge. You see, Alexander the Great knew that no man had ever been successful in bringing an army through the Gedrosian wasteland, and he wanted to prove his superiority over another Persian king who had lost his army 200 years earlier, Cyrus the Great. And there can only be one truly great military leader, right, Alex? Well, unfortunately, Alexander had left Greece five long years earlier and had pushed his troops through war after war after war. They were tired, they were stressed, and they were reluctant to go through the desert. But unfortunately, Alexander's ego couldn't resist that next challenge, and he pushed his reluctant troops through the grueling desert. Very quickly, they fell victim to blazing heat and a drought of water, and they endured weeks in this barren wasteland. And by the time the Macedonians reached the city of Pura on the other side, Alexander's ego alone had cost his army dearly, as they suffered immense losses at the hands of the fickle Gedrosian desert. This all could have been prevented if he curbed his ego. And this is a cautionary tale of what can happen when we know just a little bit too much and think too highly of ourselves, even for our own good. For the men that history remember as great, even ego makes them mortal. Fine. Ego and excess can be lethal. I'll give you that. But that perspective is a one-dimensional take on the topic. Sure, making decisions due to an excess ego can be catastrophic. But ego also has an important part to play in our lives. 
It's what gets the bleary-eyed writer out of bed when everyone else is sleeping to get on with the task at hand and write. Shout out Ben's workflow. And ego is what rouses the reluctant runner to venture out in the pouring rain because he or she knows what must be done. Ego fuels our ambition, our focus, and our accomplishment. We don't always need to demonize it because it, as a utility tool, helps push society forward. So it's not about finding this silver bullet that cures all ailments and that ego is good or bad, but figuring out what role ego can productively play in our life alongside knowledge. Somewhere, Sigmund Freud is smiling. So it's the harmony of ego which matters the most. Just like we talked about on episode six about the balance of happiness and ambition, balance is the important factor here. You need ego self-esteem to give you the confidence to move forward and achieve, but that also must be coupled with staying grounded to realize that ultimately there will always still be far more than you don't know. The ocean, after all, is limitless. But what if it's not about the ego at all, Tom? Perhaps the answer isn't to live in harmony with the ego, but to go one step further still. And one person who might have the answer we're looking for is Ken Wilber. Ken Wilber was born an intellectual prodigy as a child and very quickly would develop his integrated psychological model. And this model neatly categorizes all modes of thinking, all religions, all psychological frameworks into two simple categories, truth and falsehoods. In Ken's own words, no one is smart enough to be wrong 100% of the time. Therefore, we should focus on what's right and leave out the rest. A confoundingly simple idea, which had a lot of support in its time. And Wilbur had a view on ego, and that is obviously today's discussion on subject matter, because for him, the goal of spirituality was to transcend the ego, not to destroy it or even live in harmony with it. Ken Wilbur understood that the ego could never completely be destroyed, merely contained. So we can apply that ourselves by realizing that we can be better than our egos. We can transcend them and use our ego not to control our lives, but instead go one step beyond them and leave that ocean altogether. Here we are talking about balance of the ego, and you lead with Ken Wilbur, of all people. His lessons weren't just theoretical. His story is a cautionary tale, too. Wilbur didn't practice what he preached and what you're currently preaching. He founded the Integral Institute, which was initially met with rapturous support from people like Al Gore and Tony Robbins, people who know how to play a crowd. This was supposed to be the moment that Ken Wilbur's groundbreaking integral framework would be practically applied to society and the world at large. People waited with bated breath. And, and, and you know what happened? Absolutely, literally nothing. In the early 2000s, with world problems such as the Iraq war, climate change, and world hunger crying out for an integral institute perspective, Wilbur's Institute did nothing. Instead, these huge issues were categorized due to their stunted level of conscious development, implying that they are not as highly developed as we are. And because we're so highly developed, we don't want to tackle world problems, despite the fact that they live in it. So (laughs) this is the bitter irony of Ken Wilbur and a hilarious counterexample. He was consumed by his ego. 
as his ideas gain massive traction, his need for control and elevating himself higher than his peers was all-encompassing. Eventually, it led to him becoming a recluse, stopping to write altogether, and his health fully deteriorating. I'm just hoping that your Instagram follower account isn't attached to your ego, eh, Tom? Well, that'd be 800 followers in the last week, so ego's on the up and up. But it helps to keep your <laughs> ego in check, right? And power is dangerous, especially when people are praising your knowledge left, right, and center. Listener, tread carefully. Don't follow Ben on Instagram. <laughs> Don't listen to my co-host. Because there is, however, a light at the end of this dark tunnel of ego. And that's because knowledge has one trait that ego cannot compete with. And that is quite simply that it's the key to our self-actualization. And here's another quick definition for you. Self-actualization is the realization or fulfillment of one's talent and potentialities. And knowledge allows us to determine what fulfillment means for us alone. I'm a writer, so sharing work that transforms people's thinking is very self-actualizing for me. But that might be totally different to Tom, who gets his self-actualization from seeing his Instagram follower account go up, (laughs) from seeing other companies flourish. And that beautiful thing here is that both realities are totally fine. In fact, those realities are perfect. And that's because true knowledge is knowing how big the ocean you're swimming in is, but at the same time, being content in the knowledge that the direction you're swimming in has meaning for you and you alone. And that means if you can leave your ego at the door, then that is self-actualization. And that, listeners, is powerful. Ben, (laughs) big shocker. I disagree. Ego isn't something to be abandoned, but rather embraced. If you can curb its impact and curb the downside, then it can be a powerful force that pushes us forward. It's after all our relationship with knowledge that reigns supreme. Anybody can get a library card, but it's up to you to go and choose the book that you want to grow with. It's about having the understanding that the ocean of knowledge is limitless, but welcoming the challenge anyway. We may not be able to boil the ocean, but we can definitely warm it up. So just as there always remains work to be done, a new style to wear, a new lane to swim in, is the understanding that there will never be a finite result to how much knowledge you have and how much knowledge you will acquire. If you push back on that, the result is close-mindedness and your ego taking over. But if you accept the truly limitless borders of knowledge, you lay the path for your own self-actualization. Here on Subject Matter, we ask that you decide how to get there yourself. How will your personal relationship with knowledge shape your growth and shape your future? Well said, Tom. And for once, I'll agree with you. Thank you for listening, everybody. And we will see you next week for another episode of Subject Matter, episode nine, coming to you next Tuesday. And if you wouldn't mind, if you haven't already, we would love if you could subscribe over on iTunes if you are enjoying the show. Or if you're not using iTunes on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we are still pushing to get ranked in the new and upcoming podcasts. So if you could subscribe and leave a rating, we would really appreciate it. Thank you very much and see you next week.